Beloved, God has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you, who lived a perfect life for you to set you free. And He doesn't want anything standing in the way of you enjoying and living in that freedom. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our scripture reading this morning is uh, taken from Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those who were esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And as for those who were held in high esteem, whether they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, who's esteemed, who is esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. The year was 1776. The 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence knew that they were in for a fight. A war would follow, and if the movement failed, in all probability, these men would be hanged. What they were discovering is that freedom is not free. Now fast forward to 2015. The battle for freedom continues today. Who would have thought just a few years ago that we would be witnessing the demise of some of our basic cherished and fundamental rights? The right to religious expression. The right to the freedom of speech. But look around. The fight for freedom after all these years 
is still going on. Now, the scriptures do not promise political and religious freedom. As a matter of fact, we know that across the world, there are many believers who face cruel tyranny and persecution for their faith. But God's Word does point us to another freedom, a spiritual freedom, a freedom that is found in Christ, a freedom that is set forth in the gospel, a freedom that lives in the hearts of every believer, regardless of what adversity he or she might face. And we, as we come to the book of Galatians, what we find is that the, the entire theme of this book is Christian liberty. And we're going to see in a few moments that as Paul writes this letter, he is angry. He's angry because he sees certain Jewish believers trying to bring the church back into the bondage of legalism. Let me see if I can explain that. In Bible history and in Bible theology, we find that there are two covenants that form the basis of God's dealings with humanity. A covenant, of course, is an agreement between two parties. We could look at a marriage. What is a marriage? A marriage is the establishment of a relationship based upon the vows that, two cup, that a couple makes to each other. And the covenant in this case is between God and his people. Now the first covenant that is talked about in the Bible is the covenant given to Adam and Eve. And this is called the covenant of works. And the essence of this covenant is, do this and you will live, disobey and you will die. And so Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were under the obligation to obey God perfectly if they were going to live. Now, if you are an unbeliever here today, and if you are, I want to say how thankful that we are that you're here, and we hope that you will come back. But if you are an unbeliever here, let me say that you are still under the covenant of works. In other words, if you're an unbeliever, you are still under the obligation to obey God perfectly. And the penalty for not doing that is death, spiritual death for eternity. You don't like that? Well, hang around for a few moments because I got some good news. And the good news is the covenant of grace, the second covenant. And this is the covenant that every believer lives under. It's the covenant instituted by Christ whereby he paid by his death on the cross. He paid for all the transgressions of his people and he set them free from having to obey God in order to be received and accepted by him. 
And so you see, the covenant of grace is also called the covenant of freedom. It's the covenant of freedom because it frees you from the obligation to obey the law to please God. And what does the law say? The law says, obey or die. And it's bondage because it requires you to do something that you can't possibly do. And that's live up to God's holy standards. So, I cannot overstate how diametrically opposed and how mutually exclusive these two covenants are. So I've entitled the message this morning, The Fight for Freedom. And I want us to picture Paul for a moment. Paul is angry. You can see it in his countenance. His face is flushed red. You can see the lines of tension there. And usually he greets his readers warmly and praises them for their partnership in the gospel. But here in this letter, shock and dismay replace that usual warmth and congeniality. You see, a crisis threatens the church in Galatia. And Paul opens with a withering attack upon those who are responsible. And so we can see the book of Galatians set up something like this. Imagine a courtroom scene. On one side, you've got the Apostle Paul. Here is a man who received wonderful revelations. He's a marvelous evangelist and a missionary, a tremendous theologian, a defender of the apostolic gospel. And on the other side, you have these persuasive and powerful Judaizers, many of them had followed Paul from town to town, contradicting his version of the Christian faith and spreading rumors about his ministry. And so we see Paul confronts them and accuses them of corrupting and perverting the gospel. And then in this courtroom, there's a jury too. And that's the Galatian church. This church had enjoyed a warm friendship with Paul in the past, but some of the charges that are being brought against him are very serious. Did Paul really receive this revelation from God? Is Paul truly correct about his understanding of Christian freedom? Has God really given him special insight? Is it true that this message of freedom and grace that Paul preaches is going to create a church that is immoral and lax and weak? Should they, as Paul says, turn their backs on the law as a method to please God? Well, something is knowing at Paul here. It seems to Paul that the church in Galatia was preferring bondage to freedom. And that's why he's astounded in, in, in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one 
who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And listen, you are turning to another gospel, which is really not another gospel. Note the irony here. The gospel is intended to set you free, and you apparently seem to prefer bondage. And in chapter 2, we see Paul's purpose is to show that his gospel, the gospel that he preached, was nothing new. The gospel that he preached was the true apostolic gospel. And he wanted the church in Galatia to know that it was the same gospel that Peter, James, and John, and Jesus himself preached. It was the true, pure, apostolic gospel. So Paul, in chapter 2, talks about taking a trip. He goes on a journey to Jerusalem. And there he's going to meet with the leaders of the church. Peter, James, and John in particular. And they were going to be meeting head-on with all of these questions about grace and freedom and the gospel that Paul was spreading throughout the world. And so he takes Titus and Barnabas with him. And what we find here is that the result of this meeting showed that the leaders of the church of Jerusalem respected Paul's message and affirmed it. Let's look for just a moment and and gleam at the text that he gives us in chapter 2. First of all, Paul explains his understanding of the gospel to these leaders of the church. There was no attempt to compromise. There was no attempt to say, well, you know, maybe we're both right here. Maybe I'm being a little too, uh, going to this thing of grace a little bit too far. And maybe we could bring in a little bit of the law here and a little bit of the law there. There was no attempt to do that. He said in verse 2, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running in vain. And so Paul is very upfront about his explanation of the gospel. Secondly, he says Titus, a Gentile, was with him. Titus was not circumcised as a Gentile. And Peter and uh, Paul explains to them, no one said that he was not a part of the fellowship because he wasn't circumcised. He was warmly received and accepted, even though he was outside the Jewish law. Then Paul described the impact that this ministry that God had given him was having all over the world. God was blessing Paul's work. The kingdom was being expanded And people were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It was a gospel that was producing fruit. And so we see that these influential leaders in Jerusalem, Peter, James, and John, understood Paul completely, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Now I'd like for us to stand back here for just a moment and examine Paul's method. Paul here is engaged in a conflict. Conflict is never an easy thing. It's necessary, but it's not always easy. But from all that we know of the Apostle Paul, he was not one to go looking for a fight. 
He was not one who enjoyed conflict. He often writes, as a matter of fact, to many of the churches to lay down their differences and their personal agendas and work together and to be united in Christ. But here Paul is angry. He's willing to fight. He's willing to contend. Now, if you're like me, I don't like to be around contentious people. I don't really much care for someone who every issue that comes up, it's my way or the highway, and they're going to argue, even if you're clearly right, they're going to put up an argument. You know those people. But that's not Paul. Paul is contentious over the gospel. Why? Because it's the gospel of freedom. And he wants to defend it. He wants to fight for it. And he realizes that, that the gospel of grace is the only way to freedom. And he's confrontational. He doesn't try to skirt the issue. He doesn't downplay the importance of what's going on. He doesn't try to, to set up a, a, a committee where they can work on an agreement to come up with a, a solution that satisfies both parties. He's uncompromising and he's passionate about the purity of the gospel because he is fighting for your freedom. Brothers and sisters, if we do not understand the gospel, how are we going to proclaim it? The only way is through the gospel. And so what is Paul's gospel? I want to mention three things. What is this gospel of freedom that Paul preaches? I want to mention three things. Number one, it's a gospel of grace. That is, it's totally independent of works and human achievement. Now, for example, if I were to offer you here this morning and tell you that I have a brand new car out in the parking lot and that I love you so much and I care and I appreciate you so much, here are the keys. I want you to have this and it's totally and completely free. Kids, don't jump out of your seats here. But then you come up to take the keys and I say, well now, just a minute, how about just a dollar or two? Now, I've got a question. Is that free? You see, folks, the gospel is not a good deal. It's good news. And because it's the gospel of grace, it then becomes the gospel of liberty and freedom. The two go together. The message of grace becomes the message of freedom. Why? It's a radical freedom. A freedom purchased by Christ. Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of the Christian life. You're born in liberty, and you're to live your life in liberty. Now, I will have to say in my own personal spiritual journey, that I believe for a long time that salvation comes by grace. And I could quote to you Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I believe that. But somewhere down in the recesses of my thought, the idea was that I've got to do something to keep it. 
That if I blundered and I blew it, that I had to go all the way back to square one and we had to do this whole thing over again and God was going to be displeased and I would be getting to heaven and maybe I'd be saved and maybe I wouldn't. That was my idea. And I believe sometimes that when we bring, that's what happens when we bring the law back into the Christian life. It makes us relate to God based on how well we're doing today. How good we feel about ourselves today. And then the gospel is, in Paul's mind, the center and the focus of our unity. It is the gospel that brings together Jews and Gentiles in one body. Uh, It is the gospel that transcends personal, racial, and cultural differences. It's the gospel that makes us one in Christ. Now, I believe that a lot of the misery of the Christian life, certainly a lot of the misery that I've experienced in the Christian life, has has come from a failure to understand that I'm truly, truly free. It's so easy to live and fall back into the slavery of the demands of the law. And that's why we're given the gospel. The gospel to set us free. And let me mention that one of the results of this freedom is the freedom to forgive. Haven't you been amazed at what has happened in Charleston the past few days? To see men and women look the murderer of their friends and family in the eye and extend forgiveness, where do they get the strength and the power to do that? You can only do it, brothers and sisters, when you've been set free and you've been forgiven and you have experienced the reality of the liberty that is offered in Jesus Christ. I want to conclude this morning by mentioning what I believe a number of ways in which our freedom is under attack. First, your and my spiritual freedom is under attack every time that we feel the pangs of guilt that tell you you're not good enough. Your freedom is under attack every time someone belittles you and tells you that you're worthless. Your freedom is under attack every time that you feel condemned because of something that you have done in your past that has been long forgiven by God. Your freedom is under attack every time you hear a message or every time you read a book or every time the thought enters into your mind that the gospel is not totally and completely 100% free. Your 
your freedom is under attack. Every time that you believe that you have to do something to get God to love you more. Your freedom is under attack every time you fall for the lie about God that the jury is still out on you. You just have one more chance and it's over. Brothers and sisters, our freedom must be defended. And that's why in the biography of Paul by scholar F.F. Bruce, he entitles it, Paul, the Apostle of the Heart Set Free. You see, Paul was willing to be contentious. He was willing to enter into this conflict and fight. Why? For your freedom and for mine. And so must we. How? By understanding and by embracing the gospel that Paul preached, which is nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me summarize this by saying I believe we have three things to do. Number one, believe it. Embrace it. Understand it. It's a fact. It's a gift. Take it. It's yours. And believe it. Secondly, we must live in it. That is, we must live outside the guilt and the condemnation of the law and live within the realm of the grace and the unconditional love of God. And then finally, we must defend it. We must protect it. We must contend for it. For it's the only way to be free. I love to watch Forensic Files. There was an episode there, if you watch it very much, of a man who had been falsely condemned and put in jail. And he was lingering there for six years. But there was someone, an ex-wife, who cared enough for him and believed and knew that he was innocent, that she went all out in her attempt to prove that he was innocent. And every time she would prove it, she would take it to the courts and they'd say, we don't want to hear it, he stays in jail. And they were presenting to him almost undeniable evidence until finally she got in touch with a legal group who specialized in helping those who had been incarcerated who were innocent. And after six long years, her efforts paid off. He's free. Beloved God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you, who lived a perfect life for you to set you free. And he doesn't want anything standing in the way of you enjoying and living in that freedom. Amen? Thank you. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we're thankful for that wonderful grace that sets us free from the condemnation of the law. 
And though we know, Lord, your law to be holy and just and good, we know that we could never live up to it. So forgive us for ever thinking that in our measly efforts, we could change the direction of our eternal destiny. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that freedom. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Are you interested in membership at First Presbyterian, or do you just want to learn more about our church and denomination? Join us for our next First Look class on Sunday mornings. Register with Chuck Emery at 672-1753 or emery at firstpressgreenville.org.